1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 187 being recorded on Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail
0: Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. It's good to be back with you. Welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, the folks over at Euromonitor uh, recently released a really awesome report that's right up our alley here at the Jason Scott Show. It's called... Commerce 2040. Uh, so if you're doing the math on that, it's 2019 when we're recording that. So it's about 21 years into the future. It's a, a broad and really brave look at where retail's is going uh, by 2040, uh, a, as well as some of the intersections of commerce and the home and entertainment. And to help us walk through it here on the show, we have the reports author, Michelle Evans. Michelle is the Senior Head of Digital Global Consumer Research at Euromonitor and joins us live from Chicago.
2: Thanks for having me. It's
0: great to have you, Michelle, on the show. Um, I just want to report, Jason has four words in his title and you have six, so I believe you should get paid 50% more. So we'll, <laughs> we'll discuss that uh, after the show, um, how the correlation of uh, titles, uh, word titles uh, and compensation should, should match.
2: I appreciate the, uh, the appeal for more. (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah, Michelle, your title is
1: just one of many reasons you should probably get paid more than me, but, um, (laughs) we don't have that kind of uh, time on the show. Um, but we do always like to kick off the show by getting a little bit of a sort of career background for our guests. So can you tell us a little bit how you found yourself in the, 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 um, consumer research world?
2: Yeah, I actually I started as a journalist um initially in my career and uh, during the recession I kind of had a come to jesus moment and decide it probably wasn't the best for me uh long term so I started looking for other jobs. Um, so I was last at Crane Chicago Business which is a business publication in Chicago um and it operates other places as well. They have city pubs, but um I started looking at Research jobs, PR jobs, that kind of thing. Euromonitor was actually looking for a former business journalist. Um, And so I joined. I started focusing first on payments. Um, I joined about nine years ago, did that for a good four years. And then I brought to leadership an idea to launch a product called Digital Consumer, um, which is now what I manage today. Because we covered digital in our more vertically driven offers from retail, to food service, to travel, to beauty and personal care. Um, But I thought we could do um, something more for our clients to provide more of a 360 look at the digital consumer. Um, So it launched in February of 2016.
1: That's awesome. And for our most loyal listeners, they're going to be somewhat familiar with Euromonitor because you are actually the second Michelle from Euromonitor that's been on the show. Correct. Um, but Michelle uh, Grant was on the show uh, a number of years ago back in episode 34 when we were still figuring out how to do it. So now that we've got all the kinks worked out, we're, we're excited to have the, the A-team, basically.
2: <laughs> um, we're, we're excited to be back. <laughs>
1: uh, so for folks that, that uh, don't have that episode fresh in their mind, can you refresh everyone's memory about um, sort of uh, who Euromonitor is and what you guys do?
2: For sure. So EuroMonitor, we're uh, based out of London. We have fifteen offices globally, and we um, are a market research firm. We have um, we do both strategic and, and now tactical research. Um, I've our our history has been in more strategic planning. Um, so we have data and analysis that clients subscribe to. Um, that's part of a syndicated offer. And then they also may do custom work with us as well to answer a specific uh, business question for them.
1: That uh, is terrific. And then uh, Michelle Grant had a focus on a particular industry segment, which is retail. And you have a focus on, on this particular, um, I don't know if we'd call it a demographic, but the the digital consumer. So you're looking through the lens of, uh, the consumer 's life where as she 's looking through the lens of this this one particular shopping mission that a consumer has, do I sort of have that right
2: yeah you 're pretty close, so we have um, within our syndicated database uh, different uh, systems pages that clients subscribe to so there 's um thirty plus that are more industry driven so retailing being one of them, travel, food service, and then um, we have some that are, we we bucket them either under economies or consumers um, in my case. So um, with digital consumer, we are thinking about it more from the consumer vantage point Um, and more, you know, like our motto is to think about how tech is changing commerce. Um, So really it's commerce that happens, you know, maybe it's in a store, maybe it's online. Um, Our retail system looks at the sale of goods. So in digital consumer, we're thinking about those type of purchases, but also travel, food service, entertainment, um, kind of that full consumer-facing commerce experience.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for the background. Uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of ground to cover, and we we're really excited to see the report, so we want to jump into that. Uh, the report broadly looks at what I think of as kind of three use cases. So you, you talk about an entertainment venue, kind of the home, and then the retail store. Uh, and I thought just for fun, because uh, you, you told it in that sequence, we would actually go the reverse. So so uh, because we're really retail focused here, I thought we'd anchor on that and, and start with that one. So the first question I have is, you know, here we are 2019, and there's a record number of stores closing and malls closing, at least in the US. And I think that's kind of a global trend. Um, and it feels like there's still a lot more stores that are going to close. Uh, and if you read some, folks say like 30% of malls will close. So, so I guess my starting question is, do we even have stores in 2040?
2: I think for sure. I, I think the key part is that stores are going to evolve. Um, so uh, obviously through the history of retail, there's always um, been changes where, you know, people in the U.S., they might have lived and shopped downtown you know several decades ago, and then it eventually went to suburbia and especially retailers rose in popularity and you know now we're seeing them decline so I think there's a natural kind of evolution of things that happens um in terms of what you know clearly it's more of a kind of a probably a generational shift. it feels more severe what's going on um certainly some economic factors and technology playing a role and I'd say. You know, though we see online sales obviously from a growth standpoint outpacing what is bought in store. You also, when you when we survey consumers and you ask them, well, why do you shop in store? And it's the sheer. To, to like feel or touch things before they purchase them. Um, so 47% of global um, connected consumers say that. So there's still reasons that they'll want to go in-store. Um, I, I just think stores are probably going to change around those.
0: Okay. Do, do you think um, we'll have a mall kind of a format or is it going to be more of just kind of individual little standalone stores?
2: I think the mall format could could certainly be Feasible. Um, I think what we're seeing with malls today is if you um, consider some of the department stores that are closing and some, you know, more of like entertainment concepts that are coming in, more of the restaurants. Um, there's a, 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 a little shopping center in Chicago in the northern Clybourne area. Um that it's it's small it's not a huge mall by any means but it opened the last couple years and i i'm always struck whenever i go there because there is a grocery store so it might have more frequent footfall there um there's a jewelry store um i remember like a candy shop that kind of thing there's also um a plethora of entertainment options so there's a cinema um i think there's some other entertainment and then um also, a lot of food service options. So, giving you a variety of reasons to go and, and enjoy yourself, and as you're lingering, perhaps um, shopping then.
1: Awesome. And I, I want to dig into that. Uh, but before I do, I just wanted to compliment you overall on the report. I think it's super smart to forecast the future or 21 years out. Because um, Scott and I do these forecasts every year, and then annoyingly, a year later, Scott likes to do a show where he reminds everyone of all the things I forecasted a year ago. And that never goes well for me. And I'm, I'm thinking that like, but by, by uh, doing it 21 years out, you're way less likely to have people pulling out your old report in
2: 21 years to check your work. I hope so. That's my, that was my main goal there. <laughs> yeah,
1: so going back to our original theme of ways in which Michelle is smarter than Jason. Uh, <laughs> So kind of reading between the lines when you were describing the report and the, the the specific missions that people would still have in brick and mortar stores, I made an inference that I'm not sure you explicitly called out, which is maybe retail isn't as maybe physical retail isn't as important for replenishment as it is today. Um, and that, you know, it more it has this role around these these special missions, like like something you want to try before you buy or you know, when you just want to serendipitously discover something.
2: Yeah. So when you think about um, different sort of purchases, I think you've hit the nail on the head. We talk about this a little bit in the home environment, which we're obviously going to talk about um, in a few more minutes. And I think that's where the replenishment comes in. You obviously IoT is starting to take off, smart appliances and whatnot. So the idea of your your washing machine being able to, to dictate or inform you when you need detergent, those kind of purchases um, could be autonomized more so. Um, in terms of a physical outlet, which is what we talk about in the in the retail store section we think that there's going to be it kind of splits by categories um that there would be a convenience store for those those purchases that are purely just impulse buys um where you're walking down the street and and you just want to water or you you know are going home to make dinner and you you know you need milk or whatever that item is um and that you don't want to have delivered and then the other type of storefront, there would be, uh, would be more of an experiential center. Um, so this gets at that point of consumers being able to touch, feel, experience products, um, that require oftentimes more consideration. So maybe it's something like furniture, maybe it's apparel, um, beauty products, um, also come to mind.
1: Yeah. And, uh, in the report, when you talk about these sort of experiential centers. Um, it sounds like the bar is significantly raised over like what we think of as experiential retail today so like today you throw a coffee shop into a retail store and now it's it's experiential retail but like what are what are some of the examples of of uh the kind of experiential center that you guys are envisioning in 2040
2: yeah, so an example that we included in the report is around the idea of a sports apparel store. Um, so you might have, and I think there's there's flavors of this that an Under Armour might do in a flagship store where you, um, you know, you can go in and let's say, there's treadmills where you might try on shoes, you know, try to see how they fit. What we're talking about also in that scenario is why does it have to be a treadmill if you're trying to buy cleats because you play soccer? Why couldn't it have more of a substance um, that's more like turf or grass? Um, something I've seen in some stores today is this notion of of taking that sort of concept and gamifying it. So obviously, you could go in there; it could be for trying on the product, or it could just be for you competing against yourself from six months ago or competing against a friend. Um, and I think a big thing is also like the kind of testing areas. Um, so you see some of that with, with beauty products today and, you know, leveraging AR to kind of see how that, um, shade looks on you and that type of thing. Um, what we are talking about in this world is a room that sort of changes, um, And you see some of it with changing lighting, but we're even talking about changing temperature or changing terrain. Um, So a a story that we talked about in the report is – this lady is preparing for a trip to Patagonia um, because I went to Patagonia this year, so that was top of mind, <laughs> and I, you know, needed to buy a winter coat. Um, so she's prompted to go into the store because they have this type of information on her um, and I know this would be of interest to her. She's able to go into this room with this winter coat and see how it would truly feel because we know there's. You know, like think about when you you know buy clothes that that need to keep you warm and it 's seventy degrees in the store it 's hard to to kind of get that sense of how it might work and then the other big element that we talked about um, with this particular example is this idea of um, very much a game that you could play. And and we think for those retailers that really kind of nail an experience and make it unique, that they could certainly even charge entry um, to, to allow consumers to even, you know, to, to play this game. So what we've outlined in the report is the idea that, you know, maybe LeBron James is your favorite player. And so you always dream about playing him in the NBA finals. Um, so we have some imagery in the report. And so there's in the imagery, there's a holographic brand or holographic representation of LeBron. Um, and and you as a consumer, you have the ball and, and you're getting ready to take the game winning shot. So if there's those kind of experiences that really, Bring to life something that you might not be able to experience elsewhere. You know, perhaps that's something that a consumer might be willing to to pay to be able to experience. Uh,
1: I like it, and just a clarification for listeners: that LeBron James he's talking about is LeBron James Jr., who will will be the the player (laughs) in (laughs) twenty forty. And uh, in fact, he might be coming up on the end of his career by then. Um, But I'm I'm pleased to hear uh, because. I don't, you know, for people that believe in global warming, I'm, I was somewhat worried you might not need a
0: coat in Patagonia in 2040.
2: Yeah, that's that's touch and go right now. You have a good point there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so here on the show, we're big fans of AR, VR, 3D printing, and some of those things that uh, when Jason and I talk a lot about them, uh, retailers kind of glaze over because they feel really gimmicky and and. Not like they're not going to impact the future. I was excited to see those mentioned in the report. How do you how do you see those fitting into the story of the future?
2: Yes, I think you're right. We actually do um, an annual survey of industry professionals globally, where we ask them about technologies and where they're investing. Um, right now, like looking out five years, AI is number one, IoT is number two, but things like 3D printing. Um, it's still fairly low. ARVR is kind of middle of the pack. Um, So it it certainly mirrors what what I hear as well. And I think, you know, in that survey, we asked them also, well, why are you not investing? And and the top top reason back um, tends to be the lack of a clear business use case. Um, So I, I think we're still toying with how this you know, helps to move the business forward, um, AR, VR is certainly something that comes in quite a bit in this report, um, for sure. I think, um, you know, with AR, um, think about the use cases even today in terms of, you know, you know, the being able to try on makeup, um, being able to, you know, see, uh, Clothes on yourself, um, maybe when you're not in the store, the sizing, um, getting more accurate sizing, that type of thing, and hopefully, you know, when we think about VR and we think about those kind of headsets um, across the worlds, we've er, we we keep calling them worlds or environments in the report. Um, when we talk about VR and we think about the headsets, we think about them being a bit more spiffy than something like the google glasses that we've seen in the past Um, something that you know you might actually wear that it would be a fashionable piece um, of eyewear it wouldn't be maybe as intrusive um, as well um, to bring things to life Uh, 3d printing is something we've talked about in the retail store area and i don't know that we're that it would come to a place where, you know, everything is printing on site. Um, what we've talked about is if if you're trying on a shirt um, in the fitting room and, and maybe it's a V-cut, but you want a rounded cut, maybe you can make small adjustments like that and have it printed.
0: Cool. How about... Um... I think you talked a little bit about, uh, kind of to use your Patagonia example, where if you were trying on something, you could, you could see yourself in kind of a, uh, an AR mirror. So you could see how, you know, maybe they don't actually have the garment there in the store and you could see how a, a different color would look or something like that. Do you, yeah. do you see that kind of technology being in the store or more kind of, uh, in the home?
2: Well, I think in both places, um, certainly, and we can talk about it probably more in the home, but, um. We had a pretty detailed um, imagery in in the report where we talked about a woman trying on um, a product in a mirror and and what the experience around that would be. You know, I do think smart mirrors um, in the retail environment have been around for a few years for sure, and we're we're seeing them more and more. I, I think there's definitely a, a strong use case for those in terms of how they can kind of extend the use cases and, and help to move, you know, help bring different colors or cuts or whatever it is to life, um, for a consumer.
1: Yeah. Uh, so to me it, like, uh, there's, and it's hard to talk about each of these three things separately because in some ways I feel like they do overlap a lot. And, and since you are, you know, kind of taking the, the perspective of the consumer, that makes perfect sense. Um, you talk a lot in the report about like increased demand for personalization. And I feel like that's just one of the areas where, you know, some flavors of this 3d printing make an awful lot of sense is that like, it's probably not true in 2040, um, that very many people are all walking around wearing a carbon copy of the same thing. Like or using the same thing, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't all have the same glasses prescription and it just feels like by 2040, there's going to be much more opportunity for for everything we use and own in life to be much more tailored to us and our unique preferences and tastes and flavors
2: I think that's you know entirely accurate and and personalization's a common theme across the report. Um, certainly what you're talking about is is more so that product we bring home and the ability to kind of slice and dice it um, to what we want, which I think is going to be um, certainly more feasible and, and it's probably, you know, what I was describing with that 3D scenario is that if you're trying it on in a fitting room, a certain shirt, and you can see different cuts of it, you can see different colors of it. You know, maybe this is a shirt today that's only sold in two colors and one cut, but in 2040 could be, you know, three times eight, variety, you know, 24 different versions of it um, that could be slightly different. Not to mention just the the cut of the shirt, you know, like the way it fits you, right? The 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 ability we would have to more tailor it um, to a consumer as well.
0: So, with the store of the future, it, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't talk about Amazon. Is is Amazon uh, uh, play a role in twenty forty?
2: <laughs> Will they be around in twenty forty? <laughs> yeah,
0: or are they? Are they? You know what what 's Amazon look like in twenty forty
2: <laughs> are they Sears um, i yeah that's that 's quite a ways out. Um, I would say if they continue on the same trajectory and you know continue to put the customer first and adhere to that sort of business principle, then in theory they would still continue to be relevant. Um, obviously, the world is fast changing, so any number of things can happen. You know, I think with Amazon and in the, su- in the society that we live in, as opposed to somewhere like a China, just the, the sheer amount of, of size that they have and their tentacles in so many different areas, you know, the, the antitrust thing also comes up and um, in, in what they might look at look like come then. Um, but, you know, I think Amazon also knows that it can't fall asleep at the wheel um, because, you know, there's a lot of players like a, like a Sears or a Blockbuster or Kodak. They're all classic examples um, of people that were top of their industry and then lost focus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The uh, uh, You have to kind of self, uh, self-innovate or else you'll get in- innovated. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I do uh uh I mean obviously it could go either either way, <laughs> but um I do think, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos has this uh quote that I admire um that uh no empire has successfully predicted its own demise. Um and so he, he seems much more aware of how likely it is that like like he's like, it's not a question of if Amazon will yeah. Will pass relevance, but win, and then he has the the funny one liner. I just want to make sure it outlives me.
2: Yeah, and I think they kind of their their strategy almost is built in that defensive mindset, right? Like they're they're always coming out fighting from that regard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do think it's going to be interesting. I do, you know, uh, I think it's easy to kind of bifurcate retail into the like all the, this sort of needs fulfillment replenishment and like. That's obviously the, the way the area that Amazon's dominating and leaning, and then there's all of this sort of uh, experiential, you know, personalization, all these sorts of things um, that Amazon doesn't plan as much. Like I think it's further complicated by these non retail businesses that Amazon's really excelling at. So like you know maybe they're they're the backbone of the internet in 2040, and and retail has become a boring uh, industry that they don't focus on.
2: Well, if you if you think about Amazon, if we assume what I'm talking about in Commerce 2040 comes to fruition, and we think about how Amazon layers over it, obviously they could dominate when it comes to kind of that general fulfillment of um, replenishment products that I talk about in the home area. You know, maybe in the retail store, maybe it's questionable. Obviously, they've pushed into stores more so, and they certainly could do more. But I think a big area. Um, when we talk about their future is with alexa and and if they're able to win that battle to be to be one of the default voices for consumers um because certainly across this report, I talked a lot about that kind of that voice first um, mentality
1: oh for sure uh, like part of me is like. I'll be thrilled that by 2040, they finally know which lights I mean when I say, uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, there, there are some things to be worked out for yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, look, uh, that's the beauty of machine learning is it's like, it's going to incrementally get better every year for the rest of life. Like I'm like, you know, the human brain, which like does not tend to improve, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, over, over the long haul. So, um, yeah, I know. I, I do think that's interesting. And obviously at the moment, like in some ways they're, they're much smarter about, trying to make their technology open and ubiquitous. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's like some interesting news about like how, just how much renewed effort they have in winning the, the car dashboard and how far they're willing to go to give away the voice technology to the car manufacturers and things like that. Because I, think they,
2: uh, well, it's, vision. it's the operating system of the future, right? Like, you know, is it going to be, it feels like the next generation of like the Apple iOS kind of battle.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and I do, I want to go back. Uh, uh, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to get in the business of predicting Amazon's demise, but I will say like one thing that is interesting about, you know, so today personalization is a lot about personalizing experience. And I I do believe that increasingly it's going to be economically viable to personalize products as we already talked about. Um, and so, so for better or worse, one of Amazon's hugest advantages in retail is they, they've just invested orders of magnitude more in their fulfillment network than anyone else. And so they're able to hold more goods closer to the customer and get it to them much faster and cheaper than anyone, and they're, they're orders of magnitude ahead of everyone. So they made this huge investment that now gives them this huge advantage in service level, um, which is all really smart. Um, But one thing that's interesting is if the world does go to products that are made to order and made on demand, um, a lot of that existing uh, investment gets depreciated. So it it just, you know, that is one of the things that you could imagine sort of um, being a little bit of an equalizer and reducing some of Amazon's competitive advantage if if it plays out that way.
2: Well, and think about, you know, even if it doesn't go that way too, like how fast can they get, you know, is it, you know, they're down to one hour for some products. Can they really get it to me faster? It feels like.
1: Oh yeah. The pattern is they're going to have it waiting in your basement before you know you need it.
2: (laughs) They're going to be creepily living in my second bedroom or something. I mean, they Um, have (laughs) a pattern
1: with a picture of your basement. And oh, there, they,
2: well, that makes were, sense, then that's those people out. were down there.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. We'll see yeah. Where that cool line is in 2040. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it just feels like, even on that front, that other retailers could catch up, I guess, is my point. Um, yeah.
1: no, for sure. It's gonna, uh, I hope I'm around, <laughs> around to see how it plays out. Um, I do want to pivot a little bit though like, so one thing we, we constantly talk about today and, you know, is the whole, like, digital disruption and, like, in particular, like, everything's omni-channel, like, all these debates about how you measure it, like, like, has that all gone away by 2040? Like, is there, like, are people still talking about these channels as different things? And, you know, are we still segmenting sales by, like, people that deliver online and people that deliver in-store? Or what, what does omni-channel mean in 2040?
2: Well, if we're gonna to get to this vision, I would hope omnichannel is a non-existent word by then. <laughs> because I think that's what it's really about is um is not looking at it by these various channels and drawing these lines as much as it's about just being, you know, having the product when the consumer wants to shop for it and, and where they wanna buy it, et cetera, et cetera. So if it's picking it up on their way home from a convenience store location. Or if it's having it shipped from that, that store to their home, um, you know, I, I think that's probably what really holds back retail in the digital era today is those kind of um, divides of, like the divide started because digital came around second, right? Um, so I think you almost have to get past that and, and look at solving it from um, more the consumer vantage point from their point of view.
0: Cool. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to sh- shop in the store of 2040. Hopefully, we can all um, do a repeat of this episode, and we'll just uh, on January first week of January 2040. We'll get together, and I guess Chicago would be convenient for you guys, and we'll go see the store of 2040 uh, to to. Anniversary this episode, um, so let's let's pivot to home because you do paint this picture where you know today I don't really think much about shopping at home. Uh, you you've got them really kind of all integrated in an interesting way, um, and when you describe that house of the future, it actually reminds me of Jason's house because I think he's got like fifty Alexas. He can see through his refrigerator and it orders things. His espresso machine knows he needs an espresso every 10 minutes, so it kind of self-espressos. self, self espressos. Um, But for those of us that don't already live in the house of 2040, uh, give us a walkthrough of what, what you think that looks like.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think we are starting to see some of those technologies come in as you describe it, um, 2020 starts to become a pivotal year because that's when several different appliance manufacturers say that um, all lines of their products will, will, will be connected. Um, so you'll see more of that coming in the home. So, you know, as we think about it, you know, voice is paramount across all of these worlds um, where we talk about it. And then, um, you know, in the home, certainly it plays a role. Certainly the, you um, the the speakers are carrying the voice, like we see with Google Home and Alexa as well. Um, you know, there's an imagery and an image in the report where we have a connected fridge, and it's still the same sort of, sort of idea that you might have today, where you can make a list or order something. I think the key about to- you know, the 2040 vision is the level of personalization that comes in. Is um, what we're talking about is that it ties in to that individual's um, health system, let's say. So, you know, maybe you're. Wearing something like a Fitbit that's tracking your exercise, you know, tracking your food, and and when you go into the fridge at eight o'clock to grab whatever, it slaps you on the wrist and says, you know, this is going to blow your calorie count or what have you. Um, we also show a lot more screens, um, a couple different places in the kitchen, the bedroom. Um, so you know, we think about an interactive screen in the kitchen, how you could monitor different levels. So whether it's energy, temperature, security, etc. In the home, or I mean in the the bedroom specifically, we have this interactive mirror. And this is one of my favorite parts of the world to kind of imagine and wrap my head around, is that we have, let's say a mother, she's she's trying on an outfit for the morning. It's an interactive mirror, um, so she can quickly see what's in her closet, kind of you, using the technology, just throw it on her. Um, there's the ability using social media of tomorrow or private communication channels. She could take a quick picture, send it either to her girlfriend that she trusts will actually give her an opinion or to a group of random strangers. Um, and then there's an element where you could invite a holographic brand rep into your home. Now, I don't think this is something that is going to be... Um, I'm not going to be inviting every brand into my home, but I'm thinking about someone um, like an apparel retailer in the U.S., uh, White House Black Market. That's a place that I shop at quite a bit. It's a place that I'm comfortable buying online because I've I've shopped enough in Person, and I know their cuts, so I would know what sizes fit me best. Um, so they're also very like they're commission driven. So they're you know stylists. They're they're right on top of you when you go into the the outlet and, and in terms of helping you. So I could see someone like that um, that kind of brand where they they already provide value in your life when you shop with them. Um, so you could invite them into the home to help you. Finish out a certain look, Um, so you have the skirt. But what about a top that would go great, or a certain um, belt, or or what have you?
1: Yeah, one of the things that excites me about that vision is that today, as a retailer, um, you you get a lot of data about what consumers own, but very little data about how they actually use what they own. Right, so. You know like it's it's a very it's very binary like they have skinny jeans or they don't have skinny jeans they have it you know but there's no context uh and so you know i when i read that sort of home scenario and you you know now like you know if the customer opts in and and you know all the everything aligns um you can now share with that brand analytics on what you know what's actually in your closet and how often you wash it and how and how often you wear it and what you wear it with. And, you know, you could imagine the the AI recommendation engines of the future being fed with that much richer data source could be, you know, much more accurate at um, sort of, you know, truly finding things that make my life better than, than the kind of basic recommendations that we have today and things like that. So that seems exciting.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to creep out your entire audience base by any means. I, I don't think this is going to be every brand. It's going to take a certain, there's a certain trust you would have with a brand like that, right? To give them that kind of information. Um, but once they've established that trust, I could see that type of thing no, happening.
1: I, I think one of the interesting trust ones to play out is the whole, and you you paint a little bit of this uh, in the report too, is the whole integration of like shopping and healthcare, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can imagine again that that facilitates a lot of better experiences if your grocery store knows that you have diabetes like like forget just like telling you if you're buying your calorie count or not like are you buying doctor approved items and are you you know all all of those kinds of things could come into play but there like there are potentially some some huge trust barriers <laughs> um in in uh, enabling some of those experiences uh but i do want to creep the audience out and so the uh, the the potentially cool or creepy part to me is um you got you seem to be pretty in on these um robotic assistants so like is are we straight up jetsons are we finally going to get astro
2: look if they can fold my laundry i'm all about them coming to my (laughs) home so we talk about a robotic assistant um from the idea that a household might share one um, there could be different business models, like maybe they outright own, maybe they're leasing, renting, that type of thing. Um, there's a screen on its belly, its stomach, where we could see, it, it's going to be the interactive screen where they're able to talk to him or, or you know, maybe they see entertainment programming um, or maybe brands actually are able to push out messages through there. But throughout our images, this robot, plays a role um you know like in one of them he you know gets the products that were delivered that day and brings them to the kitchen uh in the one in the bedroom while mom's getting ready he's playing with the small child so he's not outright the babysitter mom's still in the room but it's he's playing educational games with the kid and the scenario we're describing here is you know it's a small kid they're playing blocks and the kid says um you know, we we have some, you know, a word bubble, he says, um, mom, I'm bored, you know, can we buy the next edition? So what we're talking about here is the idea that, you know, if you have, you would lease or outright own this robot, and then you would buy into certain packages. So in that case, maybe you bought the package for a two-year-old to a three-year-old, and now you need to upgrade to the four-year-old package, something like that
1: uh it's gonna be interesting are you um familiar there's a a a uk-based uh television series um called humans
2: no i'm not
1: but i Uh, need to watch it it sounds like um i think it's on amc in the u.s and there were a couple seasons or, or one season and the whole premise was this like somewhat distant future when like households were just started, like affluent households could th- now afford the, the humanized robots. Um, and of course they're getting better every year. And so they're, you know, all these financing plans. And if you're a middle-class family, like, you know, do you make the financial sacrifices to invest in one of these things or do you have something simpler, you know, and it, it because it's TV series, of course it goes, off the rails and ultimately you can't figure out like who the androids are and the humans and, and the, <laughs> the androids revolt and try to uh create their own life but um but the like initial premise of the like first of the pilot like is uh is very much in line with with uh, the robotic vision you just painted so you you should definitely check it out
2: sounds good <laughs>
0: Cool. uh, In the report, you suggest a lot of ways brands inject themselves into the house. You've you've given us a couple of those examples. You you also introduced this kind of concept of passive consumption. Um, Explain what that is and why Connected Home brings that along.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I think we're we're starting to move into that era. Like I said, 2020 is a key year where there's going to be a lot more appliances um, in the marketplace um, as consumers naturally upgrade things. Um, these appliances will be connected. So the the kind of passive consumption, uh, you know, it's going to tie to those replenishment products. I don't think any of us get up in the morning and we're like super excited to go buy Tide laundry detergent. Uh, so those kind of product choices or product decisions, purchase decisions uh, that we could just essentially automate. Uh, so we, we see technology today, now that it's getting embedded into these machines, you know, it's able to measure consumption rather than purchase history that the retailer would have. So some of this could be autonomized. I think there's still a question if the consumer would want to be removed entirely or if they want to be pinged on their phone to okay a decision. Um, But I think long-term, as we think about this idea of passive consumption, it certainly starts to you know, shake up the retail industry as we know it, uh, consumer appliance manufacturers, um, with, with the tech in these appliances are able to get closer to consumers, offer things like remote monitoring, um, maintenance kind of things to, to keep that relationship going, you know, just because, um, you know it's going to notify you when you need more laundry detergent doesn't mean a retailer has to fulfill that um, there's potential potential probably for a brand to do that as well um, so i think it starts to change the whole paradigm and it it has a big impact when you think about loyalty too because you know you're you kind of lock into a decision so there's less opportunities upon which uh a CPG brand like a and g could influence you to buy Tide, um, to switch and buy that versus what you might have been buying before.
1: Yeah, I, I, do. I think that's interesting, totally viable in, a, in my mind. That is another scenario that potentially causes Amazon to have to, or the Amazons of the world to have to pivot, right? Because again, they're, you know, they, they built their business to try to be the world's most customer-centric business uh you know customer kind of you know uh their customer persona today is a human um and you know they built they invested in all these warehouses in this huge assortment because they feel like customers like huge assortment and they like to get the goods real fast but if the customer of the future is the lg dishwasher and it is ordering its own soap um you could imagine some of the things Amazon's investing in being less important, right? Like the LG dishwasher might run a reverse auction and buy the soap from whoever can, you know, provide soap that has meets its specs that can provide it the cheapest. Um, And unlike the human that doesn't notice they're out of soap until they're out of soap and they need it in one hour, uh, the LG dishwasher that knows exactly how, how frequently you've been washing dishes for the last 10 years, uh, can can order the soap uh well in advance and wants the cheapest slow soap that can be delivered on a on a very slow cost efficient method so i i I do think that that's going to be another that that's a potential another interesting uh, uh curve that that uh some of the players of today might have to think about um, but I was more excited in your home thing you solved a super practical problem uh, there's no porch uh piracy in twenty forty <laughs> i'm i'm glad i did that (laughs) right like and that's because the the delivery guy waits until they know you're home and then they deliver the Mm -hmm. they stage the stuff close to you and then using this all this great data they deliver it when you're home which i think is fabulous um i do want to pivot though to the entertainment venue that you drive in 2040 um there, there are a bunch of uh, cool ideas, and it seems like uh, VR plays a super uh, prominent role. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I live in Chicago. I'm actually a Cubs season ticket holder, so we go to a ton of games. And so when you think about that experience that you have at the stadium today and, and what it might be in 20 years, um, you kind of have to, to start to – leverage, I think, more technology um, to add to that in stadium experience because it's already come to the home. I, I was in a conversation with friends this weekend and someone was talking about the upcoming Bears game and how much a ticket cost, and I don't want to deal with parking and all of that nonsense. And I can just watch it when I can watch it at home on my 80-inch whatever TV. Um, so, you know, obviously... The stadium operators are competing in a new way, um, you know, against against the streaming services and, and the technology you have at home to bring it to, to bring the game to life. So what we talk about is um, AR. So think about those cool glasses that I described earlier that we would naturally have. So how can we take AR and layer it over the action? To deepen it. Um, So, an example might be like from the baseball realm, a key stat that they often throw around, um, you know, with a pitcher is how many pitches has he thrown in the game? You know, that's when the starter has to come out as he hits 100 or 105 or what have you. What if you had other stats because the players did um, and you could see their endurance level that something else is happening in the sixth inning? He's just getting worn out because he pitched on three days rest or what other factors come into it and then of course there's commerce elements as, as well where you can order food um to your seat or order it to kind of a click and collect kind of location um and then also tying into you watching the game the ability to order pre-order merchandise as well um you know based on what players you might be taking an interest in
0: cool one of the things um uh we haven't talked about as drones uh and there's a little bit of drone delivery in there but but here in the entertainment world um you talked about this kind of cool you could be sitting there watching things and then switch to a different camera from from the drone. um how do you see those playing into the whole event situation
2: yeah so i think it's just about um you know angles on the game you know so, you know i think about it in terms of what you might see at home um, that you don't necessarily see when you're in person at the game from your seat currently. Um, You know, if you guys, I'm sure you guys have been probably to Wrigley Field. It's going through a lot of upgrades right now. But if you think back a few years ago, without the jumbotrons, without TVs around the stadium, the idea of being able to see a close play, um, you know, you want to rewatch it. You want to be able to understand how it, it, you know, if the player was really safe or whatever the scenario was. Um, So I think that's another way, another kind of layer to it. Uh,
1: That, like, uh, it's going to be awesome to live in that world, Michelle. And uh, that's actually going to be a great place to leave it because uh, once again, we have used up our a lot of time for the show. Um, But if folks have a burning question or want to continue the dialogue, we certainly encourage listeners to uh, jump onto our Facebook page or hit us up on Twitter. Um, and Michelle, if listeners want to contact you, what's the best way to to find you online?
2: For sure. I'm on Twitter and also LinkedIn. So on Twitter, it would be um, at Mevans, M-E-V-A-N-S, 1-4. And then on LinkedIn, uh, Michelle Evans should bring it up.
0: Cool. We really appreciate you taking time uh, out of planning our our 21-plus years uh, future um, So to come on the show.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you guys.
1: Until next time, happy e-commercing.
2: You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show.
0: For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.